0: Look at Matthew chapter 1, what these children have been quoting, and we'll read to verse 21, and I'm going to speak just on verse 21 today. It gives you three reasons why Jesus came, but we'll read the narrative. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged, to Joseph, before they came together intimately, Why did Jesus Christ come? There's many reasons, but verse 21 is loaded. And he gives three reasons in verse 21. By the way, thousands of Jews have been named Jesus. For Jesus is the Old Testament name Joshua. And where the Jews left off, the Latinos picked up. Jesus, Zeus. Jesus, right? Jesus. So just because you got the name of Jesus doesn't mean you're a Savior. But he was given the name of Yeshua, and the Jews love to say, Christian Jews, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus our Messiah. And he comes named Joshua, and his name means Savior or Deliverer. Now, says three things about him. Three reasons why it came. Number one, Jesus Christ came to save. Number one. Now we've got to find out what that means. You say that to a lot of people that say I'm not drowning. What's this all about being saved? Uh got a good job, I've got health, I'm not in trouble. What's there to be saved from? Two. He came to save his people. Why has the death of Christ saved so few and yet so many? About 7 billion people on the face of the earth now. How many, I wonder, are saved? Uh, let's say, let's say a billion. Do we have a billion believers on the face of the earth? Anybody know? A billion wouldn't be too bad, would it? That's 6 billion people that are not going to spend eternity with Christ. Why, didn't, why are they not God's people? Six to one. So for every Christian, six people that are headed for an eternal separation from God. Uh, so what Christ did on the cross only benefits his people, and his people are the minority. And then the third thing he did is Jesus Christ didn't come to save us from our good works. He came to save us from our sins. So the question is, am I a sinner or am I a saint? How many say I'm a sinner? Talk about Christians now. See there? You're confessing your sin, you sinners. Okay. How many say you become a saint? Would you believe we're both? We're saints who sin. We used to be sinners that sin. Now we're saints who sin. That's weird, isn't it? How can you be both? Look at you. (laughs) I love you, Jesus, but I'm not going to do what you say. That can't be. It's not possible. Oh, it's possible all the time. We do it all the time. So, let's take the journey. Jesus Christ came to save, and this word save, we get a word, so uh, so-so, uh n- nice theological terms that you don't need to know about, but uh, the actual Greek word for it, it was used in these ways. This is how it was used. It was used of uh, saving from peril, it's just getting someone out of a bad situation. It was used of keeping someone alive, keeping them safe. So, it, delivering from peril, keeping someone safe, uh, to bring a benefit, well-being. It was the it was the Hebrew concept of shalom, peace, peace. But the shalom meant uh, be prosperous, have health, uh, be at peace. It was an all-encompassing shalom, shalom. Have well-being, have prosperity, do well. Uh, This word was used of preserving someone's inner being, uh, to save, uh, to keep, to flee evil, loaded, all kinds of meanings. But when it comes to speak of Jesus came to save us, did he come to save us from bankruptcy, from a house on fire, uh, or from the Roman Empire? No, no. Uh, When speaking of Christ, It speaks of he came to save us from the consequences of sin. He came to set us free from the power of sin that turned us into sinners and rebels. He came for a special mission to overcome the creation that was snatched out of his hand by rebellion. Those he made in his image rebelled against him. And so he pays us another visit. He was walking with us in the garden in Genesis 3, and we kicked him out, as it were, but he kicked us out. And there's been a divine creator estrangement ever since. We were born estranged from God from the womb. Nobody has always been God's child. You hear this, well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Nobody's always been a Christian. Because according to the Bible, our spiritual father was Satan. You are of your father the devil, John eight forty four. 44. That's not too flattering, but that's true of the whole race. We were by nature children of wrath, even as others. So Christ comes into this world, and he wants to go seeking that which has been lost. The whole race. Been lost to sin, lost to darkness. And so he comes to save us, and we commonly say there's three ways he saves. He saves us from the penalty due our sins. Somebody must pay. The soul that sinneth shall die. That is the judgment. The only judgment for sin is death. Not just physical, but spiritual death. Christ comes to this world, he said, I am going to save you from the consequences of your sin. I will save you by what I accomplished on the cross. I will bear your death. I will take that. I've come to save you from the penalty of sin. You are in an unrighteous state. You're in an unforgiven state. The cross work where God makes me a curse for you. I will bear your penalty as a divine substitute. We often say, this is what happened to us in the past. In the present, I'm saved, but I'm dealing with this dynamic, I'm still a sinner. Is there any power for the present tense? Or did we just say, I'm forgiven, go with me to get drunk. Because I'm so forgiven, I want to go get drunk, because there's no power now. I'd quit it, but there's no power because, you know, all that salvation does is forgive you. It never enables you. There's no present tense. So we ignore Romans 6. We ignore Galatians 5 that says, sin remains in us, but sin shall not reign over us. And it's a word in the Greek, basileia, It shall not reign as a king over you. Sin is not my king anymore. I've only got one king in my life. It's Christ. Sin's there, and oh, it wants to express itself, but I am not under the foothold because Christ has broken the back of sin even in me, and he's given me the power of his spirit to come alongside of me and help me to put to death the deeds of the body flee the lust of the flesh. If there's no present tense victory, God saved us to make us miserable. And he did not save us to be miserable. Can you imagine? I'm saved, glory to his name, and I'm miserable for his glory. No, no, no. He even saves us from indwelling sin. And that's a constant, that's what he's, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. And then he says in Romans 8, because all creation is groaning, including Christians, because the race is living under the weight of the curse. The thorn, the thistle, animals carnivorous, all creation. Uh, Get in all the green peace movement you want. There's only one that's going to make it green again. That's God. Sin brought the curse. Sin brought did more to the race than throwing a banana out a car window. And don't do that, by the way. I'm right behind you. (laughs) The earth is groaning, longing to throw off the curse that came on the day we sinned. And so are believers in this body, since we have this down payment of the spirit And this promise of a glorified body, a redeemed body, a body made for eternity, a body that won't need Obamacare, a a body that won't need dental work, a body that won't need medication, a body made to worship God forever without decline of strength. We long for that. That is coming. He will save me from the possession of sin and the presence of sin. That is my third installment. I am not completely saved, but I will be someday. The penalty's been taken care of. The power is being addressed, and I've got more to come. I am going to be going home, change body. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Wow. So, uh, this is what we find going on in Christ saving. This is what he really came to do for us. Uh, So he's delivering us, but now he says something that's a little nerve-wracking. Jesus Christ saves his people. Uh, Well, I started out not being his people, and so did you. You see, the death of Christ, hear this, the death of Christ is sufficient for all, but it's only efficient to those who believe. Oh, it could save a million worlds. Well, who does it save? Those who become his people. So the question is, who becomes his people? How do you get to be his people when you started out being his enemy, when you started out not being in his family? Have you ever heard of the term born again? You're born from above. You've got to get born into this family, which was a figure. He used the figure of birth. He says, he came to his own things, but his own people did not welcome him, John 1, But to as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the power and the right to become children of God. You must become a child of God to get any of the benefits of the death of Christ. We are not universalists. Everybody's not going to be saved because Christ died. John Owens wrote the classic defense of definite atonement because he's fighting universalism. And he wrote a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ, the classic defense of limited atonement. And the reason he did it was, everybody saying, because Christ died for all, all will be saved. They will not all be saved. Only his people are saved. And you become his people through a new birth through really believing in Jesus Christ, and you become his people, you become a part of his family, and then you say, I am in God's family. Are you one of the people of God? That's what you need to ask today. Or did Christ come in vain for you? It will make no difference. It will make no difference to about uh, at least 6 billion people on the earth uh, this Christmas season. It will make no difference. The only one that makes any difference to is those who know him, those who are in the family. Uh, So, how do I get in the family? I receive him. It's a thing I receive through grace by faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You must be born again. You've got to become in that category. Everything he does forgives you, justifies you, redeems you, Uh, declares you right before God, makes you fit, makes you complete, makes you whole. It all comes to those who receive Christ. They get all the benefits of Christ. Why would you live and die without cashing in on the benefits? Sin is such a powerful, blinding force that men can face Christ and their sin and choose their sin. It is a binding, blinding force so that only God can get any of us to come. And he said that in John 6, as many as my Father draws, they will come to me. And those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. He didn't say the word shut out. He didn't say you'll come. And he said, no, you can't get in. No, he's saying once you get in, I won't throw you out, but you got to be in. Have you come through the door? Have you come through the door? And I must say, you could be, belong to a church, could have been baptized eight different ways. You may have given some good offerings to the church. That won't make you a member of the family. It's Christ alone. You must receive Christ as your Savior. Then everything he came to accomplish is yours. You got the door and the key. Why don't you let this one who knocks, why don't you let him in? And why did he come? He came to save. He came to deliver you from the consequences of sin. Two, he came to save his people. If you're not his people, you're in a dire way. You're in a dangerous place until you're in the family. So, Have you ever put faith in the babe in the manger that went to the cross? And then he said he saves us from our sins. Uh, That is really sweet uh, to me because I guess I'm such a sinner. Uh, Maybe some of you want to look for another church right now, but the pastor is a sinner. Wouldn't bother Carolyn if she's here. She'd amen it. Uh, my whole goal as a young holiness boy was to be uh, sinless. I wanted to be sinless. I didn't want to sin. I ran with holiness people. We didn't wear makeup. We didn't uh, go to shows. We didn't bowl. Uh, we didn't gamble, we didn't chew, We didn't go with the girls that do. This generation can't even spell holy. You, you haven't given up anything to walk with Christ, maybe. But I grew up with people you better quit running with the world, looking like the world, acting like the world. So that's strong lines of uh, stepping out. And quite frank, it was kind of refreshing compared to day, no boundaries. It's gone the other way. Let me tell you, there's nobody in this church fighting with legalism. Your problem is everything's okay. There's no legalism in this church. You just, you can't even spell it. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Legalism. What's that? Something you debate. Uh, But it came to save us from sin. And you have to ask, what is sin? For us, the middle initial for the word of sin helps you find out. Just the I. You see, God made us to be reflectors of His glory. Reflect my glory. Your image bearers, reflect my glory. But in the Garden of Eden, we took the mirror and we turned it on ourselves. And we've come to worship ourselves. I want to be my own man. Just think you've got Eden. The first time a man ever had a perfect wife was in Eden. First time any woman ever had a perfect husband. Perfect environment, perfect body, and they traded it all to do it my way. They just notified God, we don't want you telling us. There's one prohibition. Don't tell us. You can give us paradise, give me a perfect body, a perfect mate, a perfect, perfect, but don't tell me what to do. I'm autonomous. God says, that choice will cost you. It will kill you. It will kill the relationship. And we said, give me that mirror. I adore me, my will, my opinion, my choice over you. And God said, I'll give you what you choose, and I'll give you the consequences. Sin is Fire God and tell him to get out. Keep giving me paradise. Keep giving me a good woman. Keep blessing me, but I'll make the choices. That's our sin. Fire God, elevate man, and let's adore ourselves. And God said, your rebellion has stripped me of my glory So that God goes on to say, uh, sin is to come short of the glory of God. There's two words for glory. It's a hard word to get a hold of. Let me begin with the New Testament word. It was the word doxa. We get our word doxology. And the literal meaning of the word doxa was good opinion. When he said, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God, he was saying, Give a good opinion of God no matter what you do. If you eat, drink, whatever. And some Christians, when you see them in a restaurant, God doesn't have a good opinion given. If you don't tip, you're not giving a good opinion. If you're not respectful to the waitress, you're not giving God a good name. On your job, you don't give God a good name. The way you drive, you may not give God a good name. It's your business to give God good advertisement Because you want to give him glory. That word, doxology. But the Hebrews had a word, kavod. The word kavod meant to be heavy, to be weighty. It it meant a man with glory. His glory was measured in his wealth, his army, what he was worth. You remember Belshazzar when he's found weighed and wanting many, many tickle, you farsen. You are found weighed and found wanting. The idea is God stepped in that feast night in Daniel 5. He put Belshazzar in the scale. He said, you don't even move the scale. There's no weight to you. There's no substance to you. But Yahweh God, you put me in. The whole universe has changed. I'm a God of substance. I'm a God of weight. I'm a God of worth. I'm a God of might. Now, man, since you've chosen to rebel, Everything you do, you're coming short of giving me my full worth. You're coming short of treating me holy. You're coming short of giving me my full due. You're not giving me any glory, for we've all sinned and we're falling short of the glory, the opinion God holds of himself. We cheapen God. We fall short of God and God gets no glory from us. That's our greatest sin. The Creator God made something that will not give him any credit. That's our rebellion. And the whole race is in this state until God does something more magnificent than renting the curtain of the temple that Josephus said it would take two oxen if they pulled opposite directions The curtain was so thick you could not rip it apart. But there was a veil thicker than that over your eyes when God began to deal with you. And only when his spirit, (laughs) and all of a sudden, you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And you finally say, I've been worshiping on a garbage heap. I've been worshiping myself. My selfish pleasures, my self-centeredness, my ego. Oh, it's been all about me, and I'm going to a place all about me, hell. Hell is all about you without God. By the way, nobody gets saved in hell. Nobody in hell ever says, you're a wonderful God. They'll curse him for eternity. You never stop hating God when you go to hell. But it's the Spirit of God that rents the veil. And the Father woos you. He literally stoops down at a manger to start wooing his enemies. Why don't you come together? I want to offer you peace terms. Take my son, not your son, my son, not your son. I'm not asking you to give your son. I'll do the giving. Come, just accept my gift. I'll make you a part of this wonderful family, and I'll save you from your sins. Just thinking today, I am so glad I never, never, never approach God thinking I'm righteous. I just show up, said, it's bimbo. You got any righteousness? I have no righteousness. I have no rights. But you said in 1 Corinthians one thirty, Christ is my righteousness. So, I show up, and Lord, I'm just taking out your word. He said he would clothe me in his right. I'm showing, and you said my best deeds are filthy, so I don't even... Pfft, I've already thrown them inside. I'm clothed in Christ. I'm showing up because I'm yours. I'm not showing up because I'm worthy, because I haven't sinned, because I'm perfect. I'm. Oh, oh. By the way, I find uh, it's no fun to accuse the saints either. Or, or when the saints say they don't like me, oh, ho, 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 ho. they say I'm not righteous, or I'm not the. Well, Lord. Before they said that, the devil been saying it to me for a week because he's the accuser of the brethren. And a lot, of his, a lot of your people help him out a lot. You want to accuse me? Why don't you join the devil church? He accuses all of God's. He hates God's people. He hates you if you're a Christian. Don't you kid yourself. Oh, what the devil would do to you if God would give him permission. He'd take your 10 kids too, just like Job. Did you know what? He's a murderer and a killer, and the only reason he hasn't killed you yet is because of the great shepherd that says, you don't kill my sheep. He's put the boundaries. Don't you think the devil would want to knock you off? Now, if you're a griper, he wouldn't want to because you're doing more damage alive. Let's keep you alive. Keep the gripers alive. No one at church grumbles, right? I love how my dad used to do my sister. She always brought her job home. We got her job every night, uh, especially it seemed to me like the other kids when they moved out. And there was me and Hazel and Ruth and Mary, David and Paul. And we were there every night. We got blow by blow how bad the job was. This, is. I mean, it was her vent, you know. We hear this. And sometimes after my dad had heard enough, he would do this. There be no grumblers there (laughs) in my father's house. In my father's house. In my father's house. There be no grumblers there. In my. Then my sister just got madder. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, Daddy, you can stop. That's enough. And then when he would stop, because she was ticked. She didn't like it. She didn't think it was funny. He, he would do this line. And where would you be, Lassie, had tender hands not tucked you in at night? Where would you be had your mom and daddy not been loving on you, watching out for you all? the? You're acting like there's nobody in the universe that loves you. And those employees are giving you your worth. Well, I want to tell you, tender hands have been checking you in bed for a long time, and there's a God at the right hand of the Father that says, you're mine, and the accusations of the devil and your sins can't keep you out of heaven. As the old black sister said, the devil shan't have you. Hallelujah. If you can't understand that, honey, that means can't have you. So why are you letting sin bother you? Don't sin. But when you do, don't get all discouraged. Jesus only died for sinners. That's why He saved you. He knew you were good at it. Huh? Listen to me, I'm talking to Christians. Don't go around here and acting self righteous like you didn't sin last week. Some of you, you had if you stayed in bed all day, would have sinned. We sin, we fall short. It's not we rob banks. We chase another woman. My land, we just don't love like we should. We don't forgive. Some of you are goofing around all the time. What are you going to get serious about God? What are you going to give him all of you? What are you hanging out at this place for? What are you hanging out there? What are you, what, what's, what's on the web for you that will build you up? How many naked women can you look at? How much booze do you want to drink? When is God going to do something with you? Instead still always straddling the fence. Why don't you go all out for a God that went all out for you? If he gave you everything, why don't you go all out? Oh, this Christianity, I don't know whether I'll backslide today or wait till tomorrow. If you don't have a made-up mind, go ahead and backslide, honey. It takes a made-up mind if you're going to live for God. Do you want to live for God or do you want to play on the edge of hell? And I'm known as a grace preacher, so don't run out of here telling me I don't know about grace. The grace of God teaches you to live godly and righteously and flee ungodliness. It will clean you up. It's not, grace is not a, a white glove over a dirty hand. Grace will cleanse the heart. I say, I want to do right because it feels so good doing right because I am right with God despite all that he saved me from. Oh, I wish I had a church that knew how to feel it. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah, we want a preacher on fire. I want you on fire. When you deal with the message I deal with of so-called Christians, I am saying, when are you going to be everything God wants you to be? What will it take? How many more sermons do you need? How many more exhortations? He deserves, see, he deserves glory. Are you giving God any glory? Are you giving him his equal? You don't give him attributes. You don't make him God. But you read the Psalms, you ascribe to God what he is. It's ascribed glory. He has inherent glory. But in praise, we ascribe glory. I'm acknowledging how weighty you are, how heavy you are in resources, in thanking, and in power. I must hurry and just stop. Well, who has sinned? All of us. What's God's penalty? Death and the cross. And then I say, how has God dealt with our sins? He's paid for them all. His people have nothing to fear. I don't think he'll ever be cast out unless he undoes the cross work. If God can lose me, the cross could be undone. And so, uh, my sins are forever behind me. My sins are forever forgiven. And some of you, your problem is you're still in bondage to sin. You've never even come to Christ. You're maybe religious. Maybe you're here for whatever reasons. But coming to Christ puts you in this new family that the cross was the shadow over the manger. He didn't come to be a baby. He came to be a baby that he might be a substitute. And so, I looked from the manger to the cross, and he came for three reasons. He came to save are you saved? He came to save his people. Are you his child? Are you just a little churchy? Got a little Christianity, but there's no difference. You've never been changed. Some of you, you're so stoical, I don't know if you love him or not. I never hear it. If you ever just want to kind of excite me, come up to me sometime after sermon. Don't say anything about the sermon. Would you just say something like this? Pastor? I just want to tell you, I'm head over heels in love with Christ. Don't say a thing about me. Don't say anything about this church. And don't say anything about the sermon. Tell me something about Christ. I thought he was head. I thought he was magnificent. Why don't I hear it out of your mouth? What are you talking about? It ought to be in our speech all the time. You know, one reason I love the Howard people? Because I learned God among them, and my daddy headed the tribe. We talked to this Jesus stuff. We need to be in church and on the platform to talk God. We talked it as much at home as we do here. What's your home life? Any Jesus talk? You know all the scores. Do you know what he's worth? What fills the heart fills the mouth. You don't talk about a God that you're not in love with. And if you're in love with him, you can't be quiet about him. You know what? I'm wanting to start talking about Annalise because that's another grandchild. And I don't mind talking about my folks, and I don't mind talking about my brothers. You see, if I got to pick a family on my own, I could have never picked one greater than he gave me. He knew what I needed. I needed the brothers and sisters and the mom and dad because it fills my heart. I can't keep from talking. I, did you know my daddy's been dead longer than I knew him alive? Seventy-two he died. It's a long time for him to be in the grave for me. But guess what? I talk about him because he filled my heart, and he filled me with Christ. Let's talk about Christ at Christmas. Let's talk about Christ today. And then pray for the 49ers, but talk about Christ in the meantime. <laughs> And the church said, amen. Stand with me.